in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have a problem in our house over there in western Zionsville. The problem is we drink a lot of milk. And so my wife goes to Meyer and, and she comes home with a whole trunk load, the whole back of the minivan filled with gallons and gallons of milk and we even have a separate fridge down in the basement to hold all the food that these growing kids eat. Have you lived through that problem before? The real problem with the milk though is that on the carton there's an expiration date. Now since we go through six to seven gallons of milk a week, we don't really pay attention to the expiration dates. Except that, and we probably should talk to the store manager at Meyer about this, we think they get the dates wrong. We'll have a gallon or two and it won't expire for another week and we'll sniff it and it will, oh yeah, you know the smell, don't you? It'll go bad. How is that possible? I mean, you figure somewhere around the date, maybe a day before, a day after, but we've had milk up to a week from its expiration date be smelly, which kind of makes for the perfect pancakes and waffles, actually, but that's a whole nother sermon. Something that's not supposed to expire that, that does expire, you probably had this in your life as well, things that you didn't plan for, things that weren't supposed to happen, and yet, there it is. A diagnosis, a bill that was unplanned for, Something that could be a complete accident as well. You see, in, in this life, this world, there's expiration dates all around us. But not with God. Our Old Testament reading, our actual first reading is from Revelation 14. And the Apostle John, the one whom Jesus loves, is able to see heaven itself able to see the throne room of God as it is, the Lamb sitting on the throne, the 24 elders falling down and worshiping, the angels flying all around, revelation given to John to write down to teach you what divine service truly is, what faith truly is, what it means to receive the Lord's gifts and stand firm in your confession and faith. And here in 14, he sees another angel flying directly overhead with a gospel. What type of gospel is this? Is it a gospel with an expiration date? Is it a gospel with a bunch of demands that, that God makes or limitations placed upon you or placed upon the world? Oh no, that little adjective, eternal, means everything for you. A gospel that, that unlike the milk you might buy at Meyer, your own body, your own money, all the things in this world will never wear out, perish, spoil, or fade. For this gospel is eternal. An eternal gospel. And this proclamation is for all people. Not just those who seem to figure it out. Not just those who seem to have their act together. Oh no, we're told quite clearly from our epistle for today, from Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us 
have expiration dates. All of us in and of ourselves will not last. But there Paul writes this precious truth. All are justified by His grace as a gift. Do you understand what this means? That Christ Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, came down from His heavenly throne for you. And not just for you, but for all people. We sing the Sunday school hymns. He's got the whole world in His hands, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Who did Jesus do all of this for? Everyone. The whole world. Jesus died on the cross not for those who have added something extra to their milk or keep it a little colder or have mastered some sort of pasteurization process for the sin in your life. Oh no, all have sinned. All have fallen short. And yet here He comes with an eternal Gospel. Something that will not expire. And He purchases you. He redeems you. He wins you back from your father the devil and the sin in which you were born. Not with gold or silver, but with His holy precious blood and His innocent suffering and death. He pays that price even for those who will reject Him. Because after we talk about what Christ has done for the whole world, which is simple, objective truth, we next talk about faith. God put forward Christ, we're told, as a propitiation. A big fancy word, if you will, for payment. For taking the place of, for fulfilling all the requirements of God to be received by faith. And how often, I, how often you and I twist this faith concept. We think that to receive God's blessings, there must be that work of the law, that which we would do that would preserve us. And so then Christians start to talk about having their best life now. And oh, look at what I can do. And look, if I just do this for God and I do this for my neighbor, then, then things will be better in my life. You have an expiration date. The body you live in, if I could go back and tell my 22, 23, 24, 25-year-old self, <laughs> You will get older. You will age. If I could go back and take care of my body in better ways when I was younger, I certainly would. But the point is simply that even with my best efforts back then or even now, this body has an expiration date. And my sinful nature still clings to me as well. Which means I must be on guard which means that I need the whole armor of God to do this battle daily. You see, my battle, if you will, in this life, in your battle, is not over yet. Not until you rest from your labors. Which is why next Sunday, we'll give thanks for the saints who have died in the faith. We'll speak their names here in the divine service, knowing that they rest from their labors before the Lamb. That they're gathered there under the altar that they're not worried about what you're doing or not doing. That grandpa and grandma aren't in heaven crying when this happens and that happens. They rest from their labors. You see, this is what Christ has accomplished for you. The magnitude of your sin reduced. Reduced there. 
reduced to God in the flesh, made manifest for you. And as such, because of what Christ has done, you are now free. You're free to live in this life. Yes, repercussions to your actions. Yes, sin that still clings closely. But freedom in that you know exactly what will yet take place. That there will be a resurrection that yet awaits. This is a joyous freedom. There's two Gospels appointed for this day. I read the one from John 8, which as I look back has been the traditional Gospel here at Advent for years and years and years. And I didn't want to throw a wrench in the works being the new guy. But in the bulletin, I had the other Gospel printed, Matthew 11. And I'm going to read it for you real quickly. And, and a lot of preachers don't like to preach on this text because they find it a little confusing. I'd submit to you it's quite simple. Jesus said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. What do you think about that? I think Jesus nails it, right? You see it on the news. You've seen it in your life. And the violent take it by force, right? It's a dog-eat-dog world. Life's not fair, we teach our children. We help them to learn how to work through that. And how to trust in the midst of their faith that there is a God who cares for them. That there is a Savior who has rescued them and will yet be with them. That there are gifts that God gives to strengthen you in this life. Daily living in your baptism. Eating every Lord's Day of His body and blood there in the bread and wine for the forgiveness of sins. For life. For life. For salvation. All the prophets in the law prophesied until John, Jesus says, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. John the Baptist, the last and greatest prophet, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says that word has, has been given. That word is there for all to believe. Do you hear it? Is it God's word that you turn to when you deal with the expiration dates of the milk cartons in your life? Is it that word that gives you hope in a future? Or do you look for your hope in your future somewhere else? In someone else? Jesus goes on identifying the sin to what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Here all this has been done for you through Jesus Christ. And yet how quickly you reject and forget all of it. How easy it is to find something else to do on Sunday morning. <laughs> Lord knows I'm living that right now with four kids that play sports and all of those things. The Lord's Day in our culture is no longer the Lord's Day. It's been violently ripped from the church so that family after family is forced to make decision upon decision about what's best. One of my own boys just the other day was talking with one of his friends and said, hey man, do you go to church? He said, uh, no, don't have the time. Well, don't you think you should make time for God? My son replied, he said, well, God will always be there, but you know, the sport I'm playing right now won't. Now maybe that sounds familiar to you. And you think to yourself, I need all of this right now, but I don't need that. You see, you can reject your faith. You can fall away. Look at Judas. Look at King Saul. And yet there remains 
this one simple concept called wisdom, which has everything to do with expiration dates and has everything to do with true freedom. You might remember back with King David, who was no perfect guy himself, right? Who was a horrible, miserable sinner breaking a whole bunch of the commandments all at once. But yet, when confronted by his pastor with his sin, he repented. And the Lord forgave him. Sounds a lot like Peter, right? Who rejected Jesus not just once, not just twice, but three times. And who in his repentance and by the Lord's grace restored him as well. This is the gracious Lord for you, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. King David had a son. King David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. He wanted to build the house of the Lord where this word, this beautiful music would be sung. And the Lord said, oh no, David, just build your own cedar house, your own lodge. I'll take care of building the future. And sure enough, David had a son by the name of Solomon. You've heard that name. We talk about Solomon quite a bit, but we tend to give him more credit than credit is due. Scripture talks about Solomon being given this great gift of wisdom and being the smartest man that ever lived. The same guy I always mention that had like, what, 600 wives and 900 concubines. I love my wife, but one's enough for me. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. All in good fun, sweetie. I love you. Wisdom, however... Wisdom is is more than just intelligence. Are you ready for this? I'm going to rock your world. Because the end here of this text from Matthew 11 that's there in your bulletin, Jesus says, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. And the Son of Man, Jesus, even came eating and drinking. And they accused him, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, Jesus comes exactly for that. And there's freedom there. I love the part of it here, and I think Luther took this to heart, that even Jesus drank a little in moderation, in a good way, but wine doth make a man's heart happy. We'll talk more about Luther another time. But for you, it's all about faith, which is why Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Wisdom. You see, wisdom first and foremost is the person and the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All Scripture testifies to this wisdom. All Scripture testifies to this justification that you would not eternally receive the expiration that you deserve for your body and for your soul, but rather through Jesus Christ now that you are justified by grace through faith. Faith which is poured into your ears through the reading of Scripture. Faith which covers you, robes you with the righteousness of Christ. Wisdom now justified by her deeds. First and foremost, the deeds of Jesus for you. And so that Solomon, even in the midst of all of his own sin, as his father David, as yours, as mine, as milk cartons that should not expire, but yet they do, Wisdom comes for you. Jesus comes for you. And gives you the precious ability, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, to believe who He is. To receive His gifts. To see that in His deeds, all your sins are paid for and the law fulfilled. So that you may be free.
that you may be free to live in this life, in your vocation, whatever God has given to you and what you have chosen to do according to His Word and according to the Ten Commandments, the Lord has good use for you. For you and me. Milk that in our bodies is just waiting to expire. Death that may come before our time. But yet, in eternity, kept in heaven for you through Jesus Christ. His Word, which continues to ring loud and clear, identifying what is right and what is wrong, what is sin, and what is pure freedom. And offering for you when you fall the wonderful assurance of one who comes to help you up, to raise you, to absolve you, to forgive you. All of these things, this wisdom and this rescue and this justification and the work of Christ is what we sing about this day. Luther loved to sing. Some of you may not sing. Just read along to the text today. Play along and smile at us when you walk out the door. Luther loved to sing because it brought great, great joy of what God and Jesus Christ has done. So let us worship before the throne this day. This eternal gospel that has come for you in the name of Jesus.